Hello and welcome to PE Live Podcasts. My name is Carolyn Schaps. I'm a regular contributor to Petroleum Economist and it brings me great pleasure to present the final episode of this three-part podcast series titled Operational Technology Cybersecurity, The Vital Next Step in Digitalization, brought to you in association with Hexagon. Today's episode is titled The Importance of Choosing the Right Strategic Cybersecurity Program for the Critical Infrastructure. Cybersecurity plays an important role in the field of operational technology. Securing critical infrastructure has become the biggest challenge in the present day. Whenever we think about OTICS cybersecurity, the first thing that comes to our mind is poisonous gas leaks affecting the environment and damaging people's health, and power cuts, which are increasing immensely day by day. Various governments and companies are taking many measures to prevent these OTICS incidents. This podcast focuses on what should be the strategy to tackle the challenges faced by the critical infrastructure on a regular basis as new vulnerabilities and threats emerge. In this podcast, we'll discuss why cyber risks are such a large threat to oil and gas companies, how to justify cybersecurity investments and why, and how to best protect critical infrastructure. The first two episodes in this podcast series are available online now and to listen to on demand. I'm pleased to be joined today by two members of the Hexagon team, Owen Rooney, Vice President of Sales, and Saeed Bilal, Director of OT Cybersecurity Consulting Services. Owen leads Hexagon's OT Cybersecurity team in Europe, and he has served a variety of technical and commercial roles with companies in the industrial control system market. With Hexagon's acquisition of PAS OT Cybersecurity, his focus is on helping oil and gas, chemical and process industries and expanding their presence across the region. Said is the Director of OT Cybersecurity Consulting Services. Said has more than 15 years of experience in industrial control systems and operational technology applications with a focus on networking and cybersecurity. In his current role, he is responsible for the global strategy, growth and support of Hexagon's OT cybersecurity business. Hello to you both. Thank you very much for joining us today. Let's uh, jump straight into the questions. Um, first of all, I would like to know, why is it that cyber risks are such a large threat, particularly to oil and gas companies? Hey, good morning, Carolyn, or good afternoon, wherever you are. Uh, this is Owen here. Yeah, um, I mean, an in interesting question. I think really the top of people's minds at the moment is, you know, if anything, the past nine months has taught us is, you know, how reliant we still are on oil and gas, um, you know, with the cost of living crisis across Europe. Um, many people are now realizing, hey, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're still making you know significant investment in renewables. Many companies are making that transition, but still, unfortunately, or fortunately, whatever way you want to look at it, we're still very reliant on traditional um, fuels, oil and gas, etc. And I think when 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 if you are a you know a, a nation state who wants to attack another nation state, um. Quite often, it's not just in the in the in the field, or you know, and typical traditional methods of, of war. What we find out is many many nation states are trying to attack critical infrastructure, and when you think about the financial and strategic value of assets that oil and gas companies get have, should it be an offshore platform or should it be a refinery, makes them a very vulnerable target. Um, and then when 
one other point we need to consider as well is that, you know, the strategic value for countries, um, it's not just a commercial commercial asset. We, you know, many of the companies that we deal with, you know, they're viewed by the, the internal governments as a strategic asset. So we think of Germany being, being quite reliant on gas coming from Russia and obviously removing that dependency is a, is a lot of work and they're make, making good inroads to do that. But if you're a nation state who's attacking another nation state, quite often there's people looking to you know, attack those high value assets where we're very reliant upon. So you know, oil and gas companies are a, also a, a very um, you know, prime target when you think also about where they're going from a technology perspective. When you think about the threat landscape is quite wide and broad so there's lots of opportunities there, both from an IT and an OT perspective to um, make them, they're quite vulnerable in many aspects. So there's many reasons, you know, part of it's financial, part of it is actual, you know, economic, and part of it is very much around political, some of the political things that's happening in Europe that maybe was not so predominant, you know, two, three years ago. Um, and, you know, we see that coming through all the time, uh, with many of our clients being um, hypersensitive on, on some of those threats. Thanks, Owen. I think it's interesting to put it uh, into an international context, uh, you know, c- considering what's going on at the moment. Thank you for that answer. Um, Said, uh, turning to you, what do you think are the best arguments to justify cybersecurity investments? And actually, how do your clients know whether their investments that they've made into cybersecurity provide sufficient security for their critical assets? Thanks, Caroline. Uh, to answer that question, you know, well, uh, it depends. It depends uh, on the current maturity stage of the operational technology network. When our clients approach us to justify cybersecurity investment, the first thing that comes to my mind is a maturity assessment to identify their maturity indicator level. Now, maturity assessments identifies the cybersecurity controls that will add maximum value for them. It can be uh, inventory management or vulnerability management for some clients, or it could be uh, training or building awareness for some other clients. The short answer is the maturity assessment will identify the best cybersecurity controls that will add maximum value for them. And that will, in fact, justify uh, their cybersecurity investment. Now, to know whether that investment provides sufficient security, it is recommended to conduct another maturity assessment after implementing the proposed cybersecurity controls and confirm if the maturity indicator level actually went high or not. Thank you. And Owen, back to you. The OT cyber sector is maturing very quickly. Things are moving very fast. What are the main practices that companies are adapting um, from your point of view? Hi. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because you know, we see a real, um, relatively speaking, from what you know, two years ago was a really immature market. There's, it's pretty clear the market is maturing to the point where many oil and gas companies are, you know, have invested the money and the resource in developing a strategy and, and documenting and defining that strategy and ensuring that the OT cybersecurity strategy is something that is, you know, it's embraced by um, all members of a 
should it be a refinery or an offshore platform they understand the rules of engagement they understand best practice you know the, the, the days of coming in with a, a usb key drive and plugging into your laptop you know they, they, they've all gone uh, many years ago but essentially you know to my point it's a journey so many of our many of the the companies that we work with realize that there's no silver bullet there's no silver bullet from a product perspective there's no real silver bullet from a persona perspective that you know you need a variety of people to help you not just from an ot cybersecurity perspective but also from an industrial control system perspective that you know your your team understand the processes that are involved they understand or at least have knowledge of the standards that you need to apply uh, and this is what we're seeing in the marketplace. And to my point that there's no silver bullet from a product perspective or a solution perspective that they have to very often deploy a number of different types of solutions. You know, should it be a real-time solution with a solution um, such as Hexagon where we it's very much around you know backups, configuration management, inventory management. So there's a you know, a multitude of solutions that are required. And this has very much changed from where the market has been, where many of our clients may have considered, hey, I'm going to buy this one solution. It's going to solve all my problems. Many, you know, they all now realize that that is not the, that's not best practice and it's not to be relied upon, particularly when we think about, you know, the number of threats um, that are coming out at the moment. You know, just recently, Oh, this morning I see that uh, Tata Steel, for example, um, you know, got hit with a significant ransomware um, incident. So this is happening all the time, and you know, the incidents that we're seeing and we're hearing about in the in the press are, you know, very much um, a small number. It's the iceberg situation where you know m most of it's under under the water, and um, same thing with um, OT cybersecurity threats. And incidences that many of them are actually going unreported for obvious reasons. Um, but as I, you know, as I said, many of our customers are saying this is a journey, and it's a journey that never stops. Essentially, because you know the bad boys are never stopping; they're constantly developing new ideas and new ways to attack. And you know, should that be an insider threat? It could be a worker or a cleaner, or it could be somebody that's getting access to the offices of a refinery. Or it could be uh, a nation state, but you know we are seeing a variety of different threats coming through with our customers. And so, you turning back to you, typically, what are your clients' most important assets, and what do you recommend to them how they can best protect this critical infrastructure? Typically, the most important assets are uh, the safety systems. Safety systems are considered the last line of defense. Our clients, uh, such as critical infrastructures, want to run plants safely. However, after Triton, it was realized that even safety systems are not secured. Industrial standards, such as IEC 62443, uh, NIST, you know, have a recommendation on how to protect safety systems. Now, the critical assets may not be the same for all. There are plants or units that do not have or require safety systems. The criticality of the assets is calculated after considering the importance, for example, for how long you can run the plant with this particular asset offline. If you cannot run for more than five minutes, then that is a critical asset. And if you can run 
the plant for more than three days, then that is not so critical. So it is difficult to protect all the assets and apply same level of security to all the asset of critical infrastructure. So to protect or cyber secure critical infrastructure, first they need to identify the critical assets and then they need to apply appropriate controls to protect them. Thank you. And Saeed, how is it that critical infrastructure actually detects uh, these cyber attacks? How does it detect them? Well, there are different tools in the market, you know, that can detect an intrusion. But to me, the most effective way would be uh, training the automation team. The automation team is a regular user of the operational technology or industrial control system network. They need to be trained to identify what is normal and what is not. Definitely, they need different tools for change management or log management, like Owen mentioned, that they can use to identify what got changed. However, proper training is also required so that they can use those tools during a cyber attack and limit the attack at an early stage. Thank you. And in a case of a cyber incident, what should be the response and the recovery plan following that? Uh, to answer this question, you know, let me take uh, one step back. Um, the critical infrastructures need to be prepared with a drafted incident response plan and procedures. The plan should include the contact details of the incident response team. It should also have all the step-by-step -step procedures for restoring different types of assets that they implemented. As I mentioned before, the automation team needs to be trained to detect the incident at an early stage. Oftentimes, during an incident, the team cannot find the incident response plan or procedure. A compressed version of the procedure can be printed and laminated like a reference card that can be used during an incident. And if the team requires detailed procedure, you know, some steps that they are unsure about, they can refer to the detailed procedure again. That will definitely help them to limit the incident at an early stage and detecting, controlling the incident at an early stage is very important because with time, as you know, the damage or cost of the incident will go high. And Owen, going back to you, could you please share some real life examples of where clients have successfully implemented a solid cyber strategy and subsequently what benefits they reap from that? Sure. Obviously, we, we, we're, we, we, we will not mention the customers by name, but, you know, we, we see uh, many of our clients um, do a very much a staged approach. So crawl, walk, run um, off, you know, an OT cybersecurity strategy. You know, first of all, you know, document best practice, document what, what best practice means for you document you know how you're going to apply this current standards should it be in this directive um for example here in europe or or it should be another standard that you want to um apply across your organization so being able to document that and having a delivery strategy around that is best practice then many of our customers will start you know we'll get the foundational piece right and that's always best practice we believe because essentially you cannot um you know, you can't protect what you can't see. And, you know, many of our customers or many of the people we're engaged with quite often really have no idea what their inventory is. 
They don't know what assets they have. They don't know the type of assets, how many they are. So therefore, you're not able to ascertain which vulnerabilities really apply to their organization. And if you don't know that, then you're pretty open to a to a threat. And what we see is many, many, many of our, the organizations that we work with you know, now do understand that assets at level zero and level one are very much a you know an intrinsical part of uh, of their their business, and they also need protected. So even if it's not on a live network. It's still open to abuse. Should that be an insider threat, for example, um, and we see that moving forward, you know, in, in in a how should I say in a holistic way with the strategies that they develop and deliver, and with some customers, you know, they're realizing that having an OT, having a correct OT cybersecurity strategy in place is actually good for business. Okay, so there's many advantages to understanding what your inventory is. Being able to, for example, if there's if there is a configuration file that goes missing, being able to get have that backup ready at hand and be able to get the system back up in play. You know, we've seen instances where maybe, for example, a disgruntled employee, you know, still has a laptop at home, you know, still has passwords, still can get access to a system. We've seen best practice where, you know, we have seen that where they've been able to access that system. I'm being able to do some damage. So we've seen best practice where, you know, a lot of those things are being clamped down on, but it's still open for abuse. But when you think about for the benefits to their business and benefits to the bottom line of having an OT cybersecurity strategy in play, you know, I think it's about things, for example, which is really important to the day-to-day operations of the assets and the businesses that we talk to, should it be a refinery, a chemical plant, an offshore platform, Many of our customers are able to, you know, ensure all the components remain supported by the vendors they deal with, being able to ensure the risks of their automation system. You know, it could be aging, and uh, you know, and they could recognize actually there's limited support for that automation system. Being able to ensure, you know, component failure rates are being monitored and captured to identify the most vulnerable parts of the system, of should that be hardware, or software, and also really important to mitigate potential future difficulties in, a, in obtaining things like spur parts. And one point that we didn't touch on is very much around process safety, being able to maintain a robust and reliable mission critical layer of control systems that delivers you know, the required risk reduction from, from, from relative protective systems. So all in all, you know, the ability to mean that you know, those security three updates and patches and reconfiguration of those files is really important and to ensure that many of those systems don't become obsolete. I think those things are pretty vital and we see as best practice, you know, in, in the sector um, where, you know, people who are you know developing and delivering best practice are also seeing real key benefits that I just outlined to their business and to their operations. And we're nearly at the end of the podcast, so I think it'll be interesting to hear um, what you make of the future. Uh, where do you both see the sector heading in the next five years? Yeah, it's that's an interesting question. <laughs> well, you know, who knows? I mean, obviously, if we're talking about Europe from a from a European perspective, you know, there's still lots of critical things at play for you know pretty obvious geopolitical reasons um, because there's so much. 
still a lot of dependency on rushing rushing gas and oil and obviously we're weaning ourselves off that but i think one of the big things the big things of it, for many countries is security of supply so you know we look at the uk for example you know we're looking at fracking we're looking at alternative markets we're look you know we're shipping in a lot of gas from the us and and that all has implica- implications for the consumer it also has massive implications for the industrial markets where they're very much reliant on power and energy and that has a big impact on where we see the market going in the next 5 years there's actually you know is it going to be nation nation state threat still there um is it going to be you know you know a resurge of insider threats is it going to be you know the threat landscape is getting much larger many of our customers are embracing digitization and when you get things more digital it's more prone to a threat and more prone to a, an incident so we see the threat landscape and the whole digitization of many of our clients um increasing um the possibility of being hacked or having a threat against them so we see the market increasing and many of our many of the, our clients are investing in the right way some are investing quicker than others um but at the same time you know this is this has got board level attention so when uh, a ciso a chief Inf- information security officer is being asked tough questions at the board level he's, he he got to have the right answers if he doesn't have the right answers well he loses his job obviously but you know many many of the boards are aware that having a, a threat or being attacked is not a good look okay so there's shareholders there's stakeholders within organizations that are very very alert um to these things happening you know we we just think of the colonial pipeline incident we think of north kaidro you know all those things that are in the public domain and tata just this morning tata steel so over the next 5 years yeah i i it's it's a good space to be in um and it's also a space that's moving quite rapidly from a technical perspective but again to make my point that i made previously um many of the companies that we work with realize that they need to get the foundations right first thank you owen and said uh, would you like to give your point of view as well on where you think the market is heading in the next 5 years uh let me start saying that you know our hexagon products are designed understanding the criticality of the industrial control systems However what I'm seeing now is the critical infrastructures are adapting more and more IT security techniques um the operational technology network uh, you know I think will have more IT tools such as 5G or zero trust network etc uh two things to consider there are the IT tools were not initially designed for the operational technology environment and they may need to be customized secondly as you introduce these new technologies the associated risk will be applied to the ot environment having it techniques are good for user accessibility but i want to end saying that the risk of implementing it tools should always be calculated and uh, like owen said you know uh, either avoided or minimized thank you Well thank you both very much that's very insightful session on the OTICS cybersecurity situation and uh, where that's going uh, going forwards thank you all for downloading this episode and don't forget to subscribe to PE live podcasts to get notifications of our new series starting soon as well as to listen to previous episodes on demand